All right, on Sunday evenings we are working on a topic, what people want to know about the Bible, Uh, preparing ourselves actually to give an answer on a few of the basic things that people in the world wonder about or want to know about the Bible. Uh, My point overall is that people uh, want pretty simple answers to pretty simple questions. Uh, They may have heard things or grown up in some church that taught them something and hear something different, and they just want to know what the Bible says. A pretty quick, simple answer. So hopefully we're preparing ourselves to do that a little bit. Uh, We spent the first topic talking about how we can understand the Bible, and that's necessary to study with people or to talk with people. And our second topic, which is going to go on for a while, is the end times and the afterlife. Uh, The reason I started with it is because I think that's one of the main things people ask questions about. I know it is on uh, the Know Your Bible show. People for uh, decades have wanted to know about what happens when we die. Where where do we go? What's the judgment about? Uh, What's heaven going to be like? What's the second coming going to be like? When's the rapture? On and on and on. We get lots of questions. So we're going to spend at least seven weeks probably working on the, the end times and the afterlife. Last week we started with understanding prophecy, and I hope that was helpful to to some. Uh, not the most exciting topic in the world, but uh, you got to understand a little bit of it to make the sense make sense of the rest of it, because uh, people today come up with all these doctrines and theories by misusing prophecy. Take a whole lot of stuff out of Daniel and the Old Testament and make it apply to today. They take the book of Revelation, make it apply to today. Uh, you got to understand a few basics about prophecy. So we did that last week. Tonight we're going to talk about the millennium. And uh, when we get that all figured out in 30 minutes or less... Uh, next week, we'll talk about the intermediate state. Uh, what happens when we die? Where does our soul go? What happens to it? Uh, then we'll talk about the second coming, the final judgment, and heaven and hell are our planned topics. Now, the reason we put the millennium in here, it's not really part uh, of the end times and the afterlife, I don't believe, but almost anybody you talk to in the world is going to bring it up. They're going to want to know uh, before they wonder about what happens to the soul and all that. They're going to wonder about the rapture and the seven years of tribulation and the thousand-year reign. Uh, Is this all going to happen? And when's it going to happen? And are there signs now? Uh, It's kind of amazing that it's got that popular so fast. Uh, It's always been a topic of discussion among uh, biblical people. But uh, lately, it's really exploded. There are lots and lots of prophets, we will call them with the proper punctuation around it, uh, prophets that make their living talking about the millennium and the rapture and the book of Revelation and explaining everything and explaining every symbol and on and on. It's a real popular topic, uh, the Left Behind series. Uh, made a whole lot of money for a couple of authors that wrote an extended series of novels uh, about what we're going to talk about tonight. So everybody's going to ask about it, so I thought, well, we got to cover it a little bit so we at least know 
<laughs> well, the basis of it. Uh, the amazing thing about it, and a lot of these prophecies and things that we get hung up on, the amazing thing is there's so little in the Bible that it comes from. Uh, in fact, I put down there on your, your handout that Revelation 20, verses 1 through 7, is the only place this thousand-year thing is mentioned, and it's really not mentioned in the sense that it's become this huge doctrine. Uh, Revelation 20 and uh, verses 1 through 7, let's just read it real quickly. Uh, John says, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, and he locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. All right, as I read through there, I imagine most of you thought of about 15 questions. You thought, ah, I've heard of that before. I've heard of that Mark, and I've heard of Satan being changed, and and I've heard of the the saints being raised in the first resurrection and the third, second and the third and fourth. I don't know how many there are in all of the theories. But the interesting thing is that's the only place this is mentioned. Nowhere else in the whole Bible. In John's vision, he had this one little part here about a thousand years and... The first resurrection and the Satan being chained and a few things like that. All right. We call that the millennium. Millennium just means a thousand. So it's the, the millennial reign since it says Christ is going to be reigning there. Now, what you believe about the millennial reign and what it is or when it will occur or has occurred or isn't going to occur... What you think about that is one of the uh, most controversial things in this study of the end times that we're talking about. Uh, and the reason I wanted to cover it is because we've got to get it out of the way so we can talk about the real end times. So very briefly, and this is a real thumbnail sketch of millennial teachings, I put four down there, and these are the main four that people have come up with over the centuries since Jesus lived and John wrote this. One is premillennialism. One is postmillennialism. One is dispensational premillennialism. And the other one is amillennialism. Now, turn the page and I'll make a little more sense of this, perhaps. Uh, Pre and post mean before and after. So if you say pre-millennial, that means something comes before the millennium. If you say post-millennial, that means something comes after the millennium. What that's referring to is the second coming of Jesus. 
When does Jesus come back? Does he come back before the millennial reign? Or does he come back after the millennial reign? Is he going to set up this kingdom and reign for a thousand years and then come take everybody to heaven? Or is he going to come back and then set up this thousand year thing and reign for a thousand years uh, after he comes back? Now I gave you some diagrams there which are, if I did them from scratch, I'd have changed a few things, but this was the best one I could find without working for half a week uh, to give you some charts. And you can very quickly look at it and see the second coming in all of them. And the millennium either comes before that or after that. The second coming either comes before or after, pre or post millennium. So let's just go through these real quick just so you got a basic understanding. Uh, the first one is premillennialism. Just cross out, I wouldn't have put that post-tribulational in there. It is just premillennial. People believe that Jesus is going to come back and then the millennium is going to happen. What they believe is that the world is going to get worse and worse. The, the Antichrist is going to come and persecute the church. That's the tribulation thing. And then Christ is going to come. And he's going to take the righteous to heaven, going to rapture them. And then he's going to set up and reign from Jerusalem on David's throne for a literal thousand years. After that, after this uh, utopia of Christ reigning on earth and controlling everything and everything being wonderful, uh, then he's going to take everybody to heaven and the ones that refuse and are, have died before and all that are going to go to hell and all that. But that doesn't come into this. Just when's the millennium and when's his coming? So that's plain premillennialism. Now, in the last 50 years or so, people have developed a much more detailed dispensational premillennialism. Okay? Some of you are shaking your head at these big words, but it's not that important that you know them, actually. Remember what I said last week about all this stuff. <laughs> we want to be ready when he comes, whenever he comes. And if he comes while we're still alive or when we're dead, none of this matters. Okay? So don't get all in an uproar and think you can't pass the test on this. This is not going to be on the entrance exam, okay, when you get there. Uh, dispensational premillennialism goes into a whole bunch of other stuff and goes back to the six days of creation and the seventh day of rest and counts those as a period of time, a thousand years. So that means we're ready for the seventh one. We're ready for the millennium, the, the big millennium thing. You remember the excitement at 2000. A lot of people thought that was going to be it. Uh, that's probably why this has gotten more ex excitement over the last 50 years, is because they think it's time for it. Okay. And under that one, the people that believe that take Revelation very literally. Okay, everything in there is what it says it is. Real literally. Uh, They've kind of added this secret rapture thing. There's hardly any place you can figure that out in the Bible, but uh, that's the one where the bumper sticker says, in the event of the rapture, this car will be without a driver. Okay, that's 
dispensational premillennialism. God is going to just take all the righteous. We're just going to be gone. Well, I say we. I'm just going to be gone. I don't know about the rest of you, but he's just going to take the righteous. Whatever they're doing, they're going to disappear. Whoever's next to them is going to say, where'd they go? That's that secret rapture thing. And then the tribulation is going to start. You see on that chart, the second coming, church rapture, then the tribulation, and things get real tough during that time. The Antichrist is doing his thing, and there's... Uh, the Jews are going back to Jerusalem and Palestine and uh, all sorts of stuff's happened. If you read the Left Behind series, you know all the details okay, that they figured out anyway. Uh, this belief system keeps Israel completely separate from the church. Remember last week we found out that's a bad thing to do. That's not right. That's not good principle. Okay, so that's the one that's most famous. That's the one that people talk about. That's the one that they look for anything in Revelation and try to apply it to somebody today in Saudi Arabia or Iraq or somewhere. They get everybody tied to everything. Postmillennialism is not a very popular one, but some people believe that that this thousand-year reign is happening before the second coming, and things are getting better and better. That more and more people are becoming Christians and will become Christians, and the church is going to keep growing until almost everybody believes, and then Christ is going to come, and he's going to bind Satan, and he's going to rule for a thousand years, and then the last judgment. Yeah, not many folks follow that. There are a few, but not many. Amillennialism is number four. And A means no or none. So it technically means no millennium. It doesn't really mean no millennium. Millennium. It means a spiritual, figurative, heavenly millennium. So if you look at the picture, there's a symbolic thousand years going on now. And sometimes Jesus is going to come again. Okay. The millennial reign believes, or the amillennial teaching, believes that Jesus came and set up his kingdom in the first century, his first coming. He came and set up his kingdom. His kingdom is the church, and he is now reigning from heaven. Those that were raised on the day of his resurrection or the day of his death that walked around the city, they're the ones that went to heaven with him. They're reigning with him now. They were the first resurrection. The rest of the dead aren't going to be raised until he comes the second time. Okay? Now remember all the things we talked about last week. Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the first century. Literal, figurative, all that. Put all that together and everything that is taught in premillennialism of any kind fits perfectly with an amillennial explanation. Jesus is reigning now. For a period of time, figurative instead of literal, but a period of time. It's a spiritual reign instead of a physical reign, and all of it fits just fine. So, that's the four. Now, which one you pick, like I said, I don't think it's going to be on the entrance exam. Uh, 
The main problem with it is so many people spend so much time worrying about it. Uh, I am a millennial. I believe we're in the rain, the rain right now. Jesus is reigning. I believe all the prophecies about the church and Israel and everything else you read fit just perfectly. And Jesus is going to come back and going to take the righteous up first, but everybody's going to come up at the same time, basically, in the twinkling of an eye, and we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But we're in the millennium now. Okay, so those are the four options. Now, beyond knowing what pre- and post-millennialism is, boy, I'd hate to listen to this tape. Uh, that's hard to say. It's easy to say once. It's hard to say a whole bunch of times. Over and over. Um, the other thing you need to understand a little bit about is what do you think about Revelation? How do you read Revelation? Now, how you read Revelation and interpret it has a lot to do with which of these millennial choices you pick. Uh, so let's spend just, uh, once again, a very, very brief thumbnail sketch of Revelation. Revelation is... The most confused, abused, and misused book in the Bible. You can hear all sorts of things about Revelation and out of Revelation. Uh, my favorite position is what I told you last week. As soon as I get the first 65 figured out, then I'm going to worry about Revelation. Uh, but I'm not worried about it yet. I think I know enough to know what it means, uh, but I wouldn't argue with anybody about it because I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, I think one of the wisest thing I ever read about it was said by Charles Spurgeon. Let me read you his quote, uh, old preacher in the 19th century. He said, uh, per- certain persons who are always given to curious speculations need warning. When they read the Bible, it is not to find out whether they are saved or not, but to know whether we are under the third or fourth vial. And when the millennium is going to be? Or what's the battle of Armageddon? Ah, sir, search out all these things if thou hast time and skill. But look to thine own salvation first. The book of Revelation, blessed is he that understands it. But not unless, first of all, he understands this. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So Spurgeon said, if you're smart enough and got enough time, go ahead and figure it out. And if you get it all figured out, bless you. But it's not the most important thing in the world. Uh, it's not anywhere close to the most important thing in the world. So having said that, there are four ways to look at it. One is that everything in it has passed. It's done. One is that it's all historical, I mean, it's telling us what's going to happen for the rest of time. Historical. Future means hardly any of it's happened and it's not going to happen till close to the end. It's all about the end times. Chapters 4 through 22, they're going to happen sometime when Jesus gets ready to come back. And the idealist is that it's really not about any specific time. It's just a story about the battle between good and evil. And it comes out that good will win. 
And it tells it a number of different ways. It uses dragon pictures and beast pictures and horsemen and all kinds of different stories, picturesque stories, but it all means the same thing. Good's going to win. Now, which one of those you accept has a lot to do with where you lean on the millennium. Uh, the easiest to understand, the easiest one to make sense of, I think, is that it's happened. The, the past or preterist view uh, that the prophecies in here got fulfilled. There's not much in here that we have to look forward to. The idealist one doesn't really bother me too much because I think it does that too. I think if you read it that way and think, okay, all these are fulfilled in the first century. I'm just going to read this to get the gist of God winning. Uh, I think that's a good way to read it. Revelation 17 uh, pretty well sums up that idea. 17:14. you might jot that down and read it when you get home. John said, they will make war against the Lamb, all the evil people, whether they be beasts or dragons or whatever you picture them as. They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. You can read Revelation and get that out of it. You can get that in a whole different bunch of different stories and pictures and illustrations. Uh, so you can get that. So idealist doesn't bother me too much at all if you want to say you believe that. Um, I think it's pretty easy, though, to uh, explain to people and to explain to ourselves what the book is really about. And it's not about what's happening in Iraq in the year 2014. Okay. Uh, so let's just do a little bit of that fairly quickly here. Uh, let's just turn to Revelation and let it tell us what it's about. And I think this is a pretty good system to use with people that say, why don't you worry about the mark of the beast? Uh, why don't you worry about the Armageddon? Why don't you worry about all that? Here's why I don't worry about it. I start in Revelation 1.1, and it tells me who this book is from. Verse 1. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. Okay. That's a fairly big key there, folks. Okay. So Jesus gave this to his servant to show him what must soon take place. And that tells us how he made it known. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. Who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what it is written, what is written in it, because the time is near. Okay, that's how John starts. He explains what this book is. He said, Jesus sent me this revelation through his angel, and he sent me to, he told me to write it down because it's going to soon take place. And if you read it and understand it, you're blessed because the time is near. Okay? Now, why would John say that kind of stuff 
and be writing about Saddam Hussein or Henry Kissinger or anybody else that everybody's dreamed up fits in this somehow. Doesn't make any sense. Okay? Then you keep reading, and John writes the whole book to the seven churches in Asia. Okay? I don't think the folks in Sardis and Ephesus and all of that read this introduction and said, oh my goodness, I wonder if that's got to do with Iraq in the year 2000. No, it didn't enter their head. They said, whoa, Jesus is warning us through John, this stuff's going to happen. You go through these letters to the churches, and every one of them says the same thing at the end. If you overcome. If you overcome, you're going to get the tree of life. You're going to be in paradise. You're going to be all of this. If you overcome. He who hears this and overcomes. Every, all seven churches. To who? Him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give this. I will give it. You overcome. You be faithful. First three chapters are to the seven churches. Then verse four, or chapter four, John says, and then he showed me heaven. Verse 1, God said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. He's warned all these churches, you be tough. You overcome, you hang in there, you stay faithful, you're going to be rewarded. And then for the next, the rest of the book, it tells of all the persecution and trouble and how the forces of evil are going to fight the forces of God and how saints are going to die and be persecuted and be martyred and on and on and on. What was happening when John wrote this book? Christians were being persecuted. They were being martyred. Rome was wreaking havoc on them. John sends them a book, says, Blessed are you if you understand this. You got to overcome. You got to hang in there. God will reward you. It's going to be okay in the end. Jesus is going to win. They're all going to fight against him, but he's going to win. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Pretty good message. And at the end of it, go over to, in case you didn't get all that at the start, go to the last chapter, 22, verse 10. Then he told me, the, the angel told me, John says, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book because the time is near. Okay? Don't keep them secret. Let people know because it's going to happen. Okay? Now compare that with the end of Daniel. Read this when you get home with the last chapter of Daniel. Daniel's prophesied all this stuff. And at the end, he says, man, when's that going to come to pass? And his actual phrase is, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? And the angel told him, go your way, Daniel. The words are closed up and sealed for a long time. Not going to happen for a long time. And it didn't happen until the first century when Jesus came. See the, see the difference there? And that was just a 
1290 years or so that the angel was talking about. That's a long time before this comes to pass, so just keep it sealed up and don't worry about it. The angel told John, don't seal this up because it's going to happen. Now, if you sit somebody down and read first of the first chapter and the last of the last chapter, it kind of leads you right to that first position there that the prophecies were fulfilled in the first and second century. The people in Sardis and Ephesus and all of those places, they got it. They got the code. They understood somehow. We don't understand it. We can't figure it out. Okay, so I'm going with the the past, the preterist view, and uh, hopefully that makes a little bit of sense to you and helps you not worry so much about Revelation. Now, the only problem with that view is it's really hard to figure out all the symbols. In fact, you can't figure out all the symbols. You can assign them to some of them and say, ah, that that happened, that makes sense, but boy, it's really hard to get all of them because we don't know the code. Okay, real quick answers to... Uh, some stuff you might be asked, uh, when's the millennium coming? When's this thousand-year reign going to happen? Well, it's not going to happen literally. It's a figurative spiritual reign. So far, it has lasted 1,986 years. Okay? We're in the year 2014. It started about the year 30 or 33, if you want to use that one. Somewhere, 1,986 years we've been in it. Well, that's not a thousand years. No, but it's a long time. It's a figurative long time. A figurative thousand years. Okay, who's the Antichrist? Everybody wants to know who the Antichrist is. There is no one Antichrist. Okay, the Left Behind series, that's what it's all about. One guy, I can't remember his name now, but some guy that's, uh, what's his name? Anybody know? Well, that trick you into telling me you read the series there, but. Carpathian? No. What was his name? He was he was a good antichrist. Yeah, I can't hear you. So, yeah. Nikolai? Okay, Nikolai. He was a good antichrist, wasn't he? He's a perfect character for an antichrist. But there's not one antichrist. There's only two places in the Bible, two books that even mention Antichrist, and I put them both down here, 1 John 2, 1 John 2, 1 John 4, and 2 John 1, and you read in there, and all you got to do is read that, and you'll see who the Antichrist is. The Antichrist is anybody who denies Christ. And John specifically says they existed then, there's a whole bunch of them, they're out there, they're telling people that Christ isn't who he said he is, they're Antichrists. Okay, not one we're looking for. Uh, this is a description of who it is. 666, what's that mean? Uh, I went to get license plate one time, and the girl reached down under the counter, and the number that came up was 666. I thought she was going to hit me with it. She dropped it so fast. She was scared to death. And she started digging through the stack to get me another one. And I said, no, I want that one. And holy cow, then she was really freaked. <laughs> she was <laughs> She said, no, I, I never hand those out. She said, I don't give those to anybody. I said, okay, I'll, I'll get by without it. Um, 
But <laughs> some people are really worried about 666. Uh, it's either if you take the preterist view and say that everything's in some code and people have figured out a code that assign numbers for letters and all that. And you can get uh, Nero Caesar out of it if you follow the right pattern of manipulating numbers and letters and all that. Say so it might have been him if you go with that code system. Uh, I like the little more general idea. Uh, it's not one person that the beast was. Uh, seven is the number of perfection. Seven, seven, seven is the ultimate three times seven. Six is less than perfection, so three times six is less than perfection to the third power. Uh, it's just saying whoever this is is less powerful than God. God is perfection. God is perfection cubed. And whoever the most powerful evil person is isn't as powerful as God. Just a symbolic way of saying that. Uh, 144,000 going to heaven, Jehovah's Witnesses like that uh, story, and I can't imagine a worse thing to teach kids, but that's what they teach them these days, is you're probably not going to heaven because it's already full. Uh, it, 144,000 are filled up with the saints, uh, ain't going to happen. Uh, you're going to stay here on a heavenly uh, earth of some sort. But anyhow, all you, all you got to do is read one more verse. Uh, the context is so important and so easy. Uh, Revelation 7, 1 through 8 talks about the 144,000. Read one more verse, and there's multitudes around them. So there's going to be a whole lot more than 144,000. Uh, when's the rapture going to happen? There isn't going to be a secret rapture. People aren't going to be taken out of their cars driving or whatever. Uh, read John chapter 5. It says the righteous and the wicked are going up together at the same time. They're all coming out of the graves at the same time. Read First Thessalonians, which we'll study a little more in the weeks to come. But uh, there's not going to be separate resurrections separated by seven years or a thousand years or anything else. There aren't going to be two or three, four comings. There's going to be a second coming. That's what we better be ready for. So hopefully that explains the millennium a little bit and enough to get us into the real important stuff starting next week. So we'll tackle the intermediate state last next week. What happens when you die? If you're here this evening and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'll be happy to help you with that. Whatever your need of this family, come while we stand and sing.